I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of Travel Talks, where this week I'm joined by former IBO super welterweight champion boxer and classical bassoonist Hannah Rankin. I was so excited to get Hannah onto the podcast because of her status as a professional boxer. But in researching her, I found out that she's also a classical bassoonist and has traveled the world in orchestras performing in a wide variety of countries. Hannah's passion for travel is clear and really comes across in this episode. And as well as giving us an insight into what it's like to travel the world as a professional boxer, she also opens up about the places she's been to in her own personal life too where she loves the most, and some of the places she would never go back to. I'm really grateful to Hannah for coming onto the podcast. I'm proud of how the interview went, so I really hope you enjoy it too. And I also got to meet the Dalai Lama while I was there. Wow. Which was absolutely insane. I, I will never, ever forget that experience. And they took us to all the traditional places. We saw Buckingham Palace. I went to see the Children's Museum and St. James's Park and everything. In that visit was the time I decided, I love this place, I want to live here. And uh, the best thing that we found in Rome was um, this tiny little place that did uh, arancini. But it was obviously like a local's favorite. And there were like literally 50 types of arancini that you could buy here. And it was queued out the door for all local people. Like it was just off the beaten track. So actually we were in Katowice and um, we finished the concert and they all started clapping and we thought, oh, you know, this is nice. And then it all started to become in unison clapping. I'd never ever heard this. So it was a full audience clapping in unison a bit robotically. Hannah Rankin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, no, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. So this podcast is all about travel, and I'm really interested to talk to you because obviously uh, in your world of work as a professional boxer and also as a bassoon player, you must have travelled the globe quite a lot. Yeah, no, I've been to loads of different places. And actually, when I was thinking about, you know, uh, where I've been, it it racked up to quite a few countries and various cities and places that I'd completely forgotten about. So, yeah, no, I've been to a fair few places, really. Amazing. I can't wait to hear all about them. So the first question that I always ask my guests is how important is travel to you? Uh, it's For me, it's massively important. Actually, it was one of the, the main reasons I wanted to be a musician. Um, obviously, being a musician, you meet loads of different people from all over the world. So you hear all about different uh, communities, countries, lifestyles. So like actually traveling to these places is, is such an important thing because you can just experience so many different things, uh, different food, different culture, uh, just 
all different types of music as well actually mm. that's where it first started so yeah for me travel is really important and you know we've got this beautiful amazing world so you should get out there and see as much of it as you can amazing i completely agree so let's take it all the way back to your childhood now and talk about the relationship you had with travel as a child so did you travel much as a child and was it something you really enjoyed so actually as a child because my parents were both farmers and we had a sheep farm mm. it meant that travel to like you know foreign countries wasn't very common really mm. for us because uh, the, obviously all the animals had to be looked after um, yeah. and they came first <laughs> really it wasn't <laughs> like you know we did go on holiday because the sheep needed to be looked after or you know something was having puppies or you know all this yeah. sort of stuff so um no we didn't travel that much the most i really traveled as a kid was um we went we used to go down to norfolk where my grandparents were because obviously mm. I, live in, I live in scotland yeah. so we used to travel down there every summer after after the shearing season and spend time in norfolk with them um, so yeah, it was a lot of time spent in England, like, you know, a lot more staycation, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, well, the first time I went abroad was we went to Menorca when I was 10. Hmm. Um, and it was a real fluke situation. Uh, some of our best friends had said they were going there on holiday and, um, obviously my parents decided that was a bit expensive. We don't think we can really do that. And then this last minute deal came up on teletext, you know, when okay. it was on the TV, yeah. you used to look at it. Yeah. So <laughs> that came up and there was this amazing villa and last minute flights and yeah so we all went and it was the first time I'd been on a plane I was so excited about it um yeah no uh, but Menorca was an amazing place to go for your first sort of holiday yeah describe Menorca to me then it must have been incredible when you hadn't left the country before yeah no so it, it really was like obviously being it was a lot warmer <laughs> obviously you <Yeah>. just got <laughs> everywhere it's warmer um but it was a lot warmer it was, it was the middle of summer so it was um really pretty and we had we had a pool at our, our house and i was just like amazingly excited about this <laughs> um and the food was amazing it was very traditional and um my mum was very much into culture and she always took us to see lots of uh, you know various of the churches in the place and we did spend time down at the beach but you know she was definitely more into us seeing about the country and the culture mm. and the people so we visited a lot of uh, yeah various historic sites and things like that amazing so obviously you traveled much more as an adult than you did as a child and i want to touch on now the fact that you're a classical bassoonist because i was doing my research i couldn't find any other professional boxers who are also classical bassoonists was i not looking hard enough or do you reckon you're the only one i think i'm the only one <laughs> it's a bit of a weird one <laughs> what made you choose the bassoon then so i actually so my family are quite musical anyway my granddad was a music teacher so um my mom and her two sisters they all played instruments so mm. naturally when we were born we, we were all encouraged to play instruments so we started on the piano and piano was definitely not my thing and actually really... at the time i I chose taekwondo lessons over piano because I was really not into it. Um, <laughs> but then um, I picked up the flute when I was at school. Um, and then my, an old lady donated a bassoon to my school because she was horrified that the, the local school, the state school, didn't have a bassoon. And I personally wasn't very surprised. Um, <laughs> but she donated this bassoon. And um, there were so many people playing the flute. And this instrument looked so quirky to me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And I picked it up um, and I just <laughs> fell in love with it. And it, it was the perfect instrument for me. Amazing. So I read online that you traveled the world um, in the National Youth Orchestra. 
So whereabouts yeah. did that take you? So the National Youth Orchestra of Scotland, we went to loads of different places, obviously did lots of things within the UK itself, um, obviously various concerts in Scotland, so around about Perth and obviously Edinburgh, Glasgow, the main the main places. Mm. And those places have like the best sort of concert halls as well, so always good to perform there. But we've also been um, spent a bit of time in Poland, so did concerts in Krakow and Katowice, which was really different and interesting because like, you know, the audiences are very different all over the world. Mm. So they, they react in very different ways. <laughs> so actually we were in Katowice and um, we finished the concert and they all started clapping and we thought, oh, you know, um, this is nice. And then it all started to become in unison clapping. I'd never ever heard this. So it was a yeah. full audience clapping in unison a bit robotically. Wow. And apparently there, that means that they want you to do an encore. But oh, I, was okay. like, I was getting totally weirded <laughs> out by this because our conductor had come on like maybe four or five times now. And we were all just like, what is going on? <laughs> and then, so nobody really knew and then um, we found out afterwards of course that they actually really enjoyed it and they mm. wanted another piece <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, did you not give them the encore then Mike, after the fifth time back on the conductor was like right we'll go back and we'll do the fourth movement we'll do that again <laughs> <laughs> nice um, but yeah no, it was just, that's a weird experience but like i really enjoyed traveling in poland i thought that, mm. was, that was great you know um one of the, the crazy places that i got to go um was mauritius actually okay and that when that came up and that that was an option um i it was with the camerata so it was like a much smaller ensemble of uh, uh, limited woodwind uh, a smaller string ensemble so there wasn't as many of us but we we went over there and it was we were kind of like the first orchestra they'd had in the island because oh, wow. they had their sort of jazz band um, and it was run by, I think I'm correct to say this, but it was run by a guy who'd actually studied here in London. Hmm. Uh, he studied saxophone over here and he set up his own um, jazz group, but they didn't actually have an orchestra. So they set up a conservatoire there and uh, they were busy getting people in and learning instruments to try and build some sort of ensemble together. So we were like a real kind of exciting thing for them to have on the island. Amazing. Um, yeah, no, that that was very cool. But there were some there were some interesting moments. Uh, like we had to do a session with the jazz group, and uh, it was live on air. And <laughs> they were just like trying to get us to do improvising live on air. Wow. And you know, I've never been so stressed in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> As a classical musician, it's not my sort of scene, but it was really good fun. Amazing. So, I've also read that you taught music in India. So you are the perfect guest for this podcast because you've traveled the world like no other. Um, what was that like? And uh, whereabouts in India did you teach music? So basically, when I was at the World Academy of Music, there was an opportunity to go over to uh, India to help out with a project that was um, obviously teaching music and, and kind of doing music classes with the children in the schools, but also helping to build musical instruments that they could play in their playgrounds. Wow. So it was like life-size sort of xylophones and like wind instruments so that they could make these sounds and have active play basically with music. Hmm. Um, and uh, I was really lucky to get the position to go. And this is actually meant to be based up in um, Ladakh. So right in the north of India. Hmm. Um, but to get there, we had to go for, obviously via Delhi. <laughs> yep. And Delhi, I must admit, is probably the one place that I would never really go back to oh, really I, yeah i found it very very stressful like don't get me wrong there are some amazing things to be seen there mm. so a few things that stuck out obviously i went to see the taj mahal yeah um because it's about a couple of hours away yep. from there and um 
I also went to the Lotus Temple in, India, mm. in New Delhi, and, and that was amazing. Um, but the rest of it, it, it was very, very humid. And uh, so, like, obviously being Scottish, <laughs> as soon as I left the house, my hair stuck to my head, my clothes <laughs> stuck to me. I was just dying, you know. And it was just, yeah, it was very hard. But also there was quite a lot of poverty. Um, we were in the Tibetan quarter because obviously mm. as we went into northern India, it'd be a lot of Tibetan people there and like the Tibetan monks and things. So we were staying there, but th there was just a lot of abject poverty and it was very hard mm. to see people suffering so much. And you didn't know, we were given lots of advice that like you can't give money to people because you don't know if it's somebody being told to collect money for a bigger organization. And mm. I, I found that very difficult to deal with. So yeah, I think... It, I think Delhi was definitely a place that I found very hard. It was incredibly busy and you always had to be like on your toes about in case you, you got your pockets picked or all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's probably somewhere I, I won't go back to yeah. <laughs> in a hurry. How long were you in India for? So I was there for a whole month, travelled from Delhi up to Manali. Now Manali was an amazing place to visit. It's sort of almost alpine and it's mm. like an alpine resort. And a lot of people visit there because there's, there's lots of um, like big forests and you can travel all the way, walk all the way up them. And we took the bus. So it was um, a couple of days uh, by bus to get there from Delhi. Um, and then the roads, the roads are like, as it just gradually climbs, oh, you really? think we're going to die because <laughs> we're going <laughs> to fall off the edge. There's no edge, there's no barriers or anything like this. Um, but we stayed for two days in, I think it was two, a couple of days in Manali. Um, and we met some Tibetan monks in the bus on the way up there. And they took us to their monastery and showed us lots of their beautiful scrolls of, of the scriptures and things they had there. We met a lot of the young children. So over there, I think families give their young boys to become monks at quite they can go at quite a young age, or if mm. they can't afford to feed all the children, some of them will go to, um, into the church. So it was interesting to see them. We kind of played outside with them. They had this crazy game, which is like instead of a ball, they had a, a sandbag. Okay, yeah. And uh, they, they're keeping up, keeping up, sort of thing. I yeah. was terrible at it. Um, and they're amazing, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Um, but I had a skipping rope. <laughs> and I let them play with that and I, I left it there and they loved it. So, yeah, no, it was, um, and Manali is probably a place where that I have a little bit of my heart there because yeah. I was very, um, I very much enjoyed it. Um, and we got to travel all the way up the valley, met a man who, who was our guide. He just showed us around and um, it was a very spiritual place. And I really, yeah, loved it there. Did you have a particularly fond memory from there? perhaps your favorite memory from your time in India? Um, yeah, so once we finally got all the way up to Leh, um, so we were right up in Leh, um, which is, is very, very high up. Um, so on the way up there, I did struggle a bit with the altitude sickness, mm. but by the time I got there, the, I was well, really well looked after. And actually coming from a farming family, um, the family that we were staying with, it was also a shepherd. He, he thought it was amazing that I came from this farm in Scotland and we had so many sheep and, and obviously the number of sheep you have there obviously denotes how wealthy you are. Whereas mm. where we are in Scotland, that's not really the case. <laughs> so, um, we, like, you know, I was treated amazingly and I was taken to um, a shepherd's meeting of all the local shepherds and wow. uh, I was like a special guest and, and that was really, really nice. Um, and I also got to meet the Dalai Lama while I was there, wow. which was absolutely insane. And um, I, I will never ever forget that experience because he came to speak in Ladakh and everybody from anywhere close by traveled 
to come and listen to him talk and I would definitely you know when people say somebody is like a holy person Mm. for me yeah he was amazing it was just like an amazing holy experience and you could just tell that people were listening to him and it it kind of enraptured by what he was saying but I just really felt that sort of spiritual thing with him and it was it was amazing amazing experience did he teach you any words of wisdom that you've taken on to your life after well I had this strange thing where he was talking obviously because he is speaking so many different languages and he Mm. was obviously talking in in Ladakhi um but us there were um, all people who were like obviously visiting the area from various parts of the world we all kind of put together so then they kind of put us all together as as we all knew each other (laughs) But, um, but we could all understand what he was saying but it he wasn't speaking English. He was speaking in Ladakhi. Okay. And it was a, it was a really amazing experience because I was like, I'm sure I don't speak Ladakhi. I, yeah. I don't understand <laughs> what <laughs> any of this is. But it's like we could all understand it, and it was, it was just a very sort of, yeah, it was a beautiful moment of people understanding something, a very holy moment that we all came from different parts of the world, but we all seemed to understand what he was saying to us. Um, and I was actually coming from a very difficult time. I, I just lost my mum very close to that time. And I promised her I'd do this trip. Mm. Um, and so I actually went, even though I didn't really want to go at the time. So for me, it was a, a specific, a, a particularly um, sort of emotional experience, but very much a, a, a lovely memory for me. No, oh, I'm really glad to hear that. So to move away from your time in India now and take it a bit more to the present and talk about your relationship with London, because London is considered to be one of the greatest cities in the world. And you, of course, studied in the Royal Academy of Music in London. And I believe now from what you've said previously, you still live in London. So do you love the city? Um, I absolutely love, I love London so much. And I actually decided when I was about 11 years old that I wanted to live here. Hmm. Um, my very very first trip to London with my grandparents to visit my aunt and uncle here um, and they took us to all the traditional places we saw Buckingham Palace I went to see the Children's Museum and St James's Park and everything and that in that visit was the time I decided I love this place I want to live here Wow! and um, it was funny because when I applied for my undergraduates I applied in London and I actually got into the Guildhall School of Music and Drama um, for my for undergraduate but I chose to stay in Scotland because I had a great teacher in Scotland okay and I hadn't been playing the bassoon for very long so I thought you know what I'll stay there and I'll, I'll work with her and and everything and I don't regret that decision because I made up my mind for my master's I would come here hmm. and and that's exactly what happened and, uh, and since I've been here for my master's I haven't left and it's been about nine years now yeah. So yeah, I'm very, very fond of it. If I had to push you for your favourite thing about living in London, obviously at an early age, you saw all the touristy sites, so maybe it's less there and more something nitty gritty that only Londoners would experience. What is your favourite thing? I think my favourite thing about London is that you can experience all types of culture mm. all at once. Yeah. <laughs> in, every single, in one day, you can experience cultures from all over the world because so many different people live here from all different places um and it just means that you can have whatever food you fancy from any part of the world yeah. so you want japanese or you you want i know um Ghanaian food you can have that here and that makes it quite an exciting place because it means that i don't think it feels like it has like a specific it's like a british identity i feel mm. it's like it's a london identity yeah. you know if you're from london if you live in london you're a londoner 
Mm. And, and there's certain things that only we get here. <laughs> like we're all mad, I think, but there's certain things that living here you only get as being a Londoner. And we'll speak about cities from around the world a bit later on, but where in the world does London rank for you as a city? It's my home. Yeah. For me, it's definitely my home. So if it's number, it's number one, extremely closely followed by New York. <laughs> oh, amazing. So, I love talking about yeah. New York, so I can't wait to talk about that. But before I do, I wanted to make sure we touched on boxing because boxing has taken you around the globe in a similar way to playing the bassoon has. So to start with, what is your favourite country to fight in? Because in researching you, I obviously saw that you fought in Norway, Malta and multiple times in the US. So out of all of those, excluding the UK, which is your favourite country to fight in? The US, absolutely, yeah. hands down. Um, yeah, because the the fans there, they're real boxing geeks. They really love the sport. And um, also it's a different sort of vibe there when you go to uh, box in America because people bring their kids to watch the boxing. It's mm. quite a you know, like um, a family thing to do, you know, sports such a massive thing in America. So if, if you bring your kids to watch the boxing, that's quite normal where here um, it would be more considered like a, a lad's night out and everybody have a yeah. few beers and stuff. Whereas I really like the fact that over there they bring their children. And a lot of the times after I've fought, um, I've spoken to like young parents and, and their kids and chatted away to them and see how they get on with the sport and things. So I really feel like the growth is really well shown in the audience as well. Um, and also like all the old, the massive big fights, the ones that I really love were in America. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you watch it back, um, the Showtime and um, Big Golden Boy and all that sort of stuff. Like it's just really exciting. So yeah, definitely America. Just to move away from America momentarily and talk about Norway and specifically Malta, I think as well, because I was speaking to a friend of mine because I work for Sky Sports and I made sure that I spoke to a colleague of mine. He's an absolute boxing nut. Uh, I'll give him a shout out, Nathan, just because he was a big fan of yours and I made sure I completely picked his brain. He said, ask Hannah what it's like to fight in Malta. Ah. So uh, it's very different. Obviously coming from the UK, here in the UK, we have the British Boxing Board of Control, and they're well considered to be one of the safest boards um, in the world when it comes to boxing. So, you know, things are just run a particular way here. And, and it's the same thing when I'm in America. It's things are run very professionally. There's never any sort of things that go wrong, <laughs> like, or last minute sort of medical situations. Um, but whereas when I was in Malta, I didn't feel like that was the case as much, you know? So things were not necessarily as well organized. Um, and I feel like the safety of things weren't the same as they were, like it's the same sort of level here. So I think I'm very spoiled in the UK to come from a certain level to then box in places like Malta, who haven't got such a massive boxing background. I think they're more, they've got much more MMA. Um, so that definitely taught me a lesson, you know, like it doesn't matter where you are in the world, things can definitely be a lot different. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So as well as traveling around the globe, you've obviously had quite a few fights in the UK. And I wanted to speak specifically about fighting in Scotland because that must be particularly special to you. Um, your first fight in Scotland, a TKO inside one minute. So yeah. was it the crowd? Was it that that spurred you on to get that TKO? Absolutely. And I must admit, like, obviously, because it was my first time fighting at home, I was so nervous. <laughs> like, I was probably more nervous than I've been for any of my other fights, even my debut, uh, wow. just because it was at home in front of all my family, all my friends. Um, and yeah, no, I, I'd had a few fights already. So people obviously had expectations of what I was going to be like and all that sort of thing. So mm. yeah, I was really super nervous, but just went out and followed the game plan exactly like my coach said. Uh, and he was like, I told you, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, um, it was a, a crazy night. And my fans were, my family were like, Hannah, under a minute, are you joking? Sort of thing. And I was just like, You're meant to be happy about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they want more for their money. Yeah. <laughs> So British fans, you said it, you mentioned it earlier, they're particularly special, particularly rowdy, and they absolutely love boxing. So this year, obviously, we haven't had fans inside stadiums. How has that affected you mentally? So, like, my last fight, obviously, I was fighting here down in London, um, and there weren't any fans at all. <laughs> so it was, a, it was weird. I think it would have been more sort of it would have affected me more had it been in Scotland because mm. obviously in Scotland I have such a big following of people and they're, they're just so extra rowdy at home yeah. um, so like, <laughs> I think I would really have uh, noticed it if I'd been at home and it'd been behind closed doors because it would have felt totally weird mm. but um here down obviously I was fighting for a world title I was fighting for the WBO middleweight world title um and I was so focused on the job in hand that actually it didn't affect me at that moment in time because I wasn't even thinking about it um also it was a you know a massive production with uh, matchroom boxing and sky sports so the way that they'd done it, it it didn't feel too much different and normally when you're in the ring and the lights go down on you you actually can't see the audience oh, really? no and it was kind of the same as that but um to be honest i, I have had some good experience obviously being a musician I've, I've been in like massive concert halls with huge audiences but i've also been in that like 
you know, tiny room where your mom's just turned up and there's nobody <laughs> else, you know, we just started out. So but I've, I've been everywhere for the performance levels. So for me, it wasn't such a massive thing, but I know some boxers found it very, very hard. Incredible. So incredible to listen to you talk about boxing there. But I want to move on now to kind of the staple questions of the show and kind of find out a little bit more about how you travel in your own personal life as well. So you've mentioned New York City as your favourite city. What makes New York your favourite city? I love the buzz. I love the energy, the people, like the constant. It's so loud, and it, but it's like a, a hum of energy all of the time. And I'm so glad I didn't get to. I, I wasn't there during COVID because <laughs> I can't <laughs> imagine New York being silent. I yeah. just can't imagine that. But I love that about it. And for me, obviously, connections to boxing are, are massive there. Uh, training at Gleason's gym when I go there. I, I did train at the the old Mender's gym. So yeah, there's also been great fights. Uh, the food is amazing. And it's like stuff that you kind of wait for when you're a kid. You know, when you're watching stuff on TV and you watch all the American like TV shows mm. and you see people having pizzas like you know the size of yep. this big. <laughs> and like in a, in New York, that is that's real. That's a yeah. thing. <laughs> it's not actually just on the TV. So um, yeah, no, those those aspects are very exciting. Um, and as a musician, obviously, there's amazing concert halls and performers. Um, and I love the the New York subway and all that sort of stuff. That's just really yep. interesting for me as well. That you can always like you can never be bored sitting on the underground there. Never yep. ever. <laughs> There's always something crazy going on. So yeah, loads of different cool things to to do while you're there. Amazing. And for someone who's uh, listening who perhaps hasn't been to New York, if you had to recommend one thing to do whilst they're in New York, what would you say? Got to visit Central Park. Yeah, absolutely. Got to visit Central Park because like when you're there, it's you know when you, you were a kid and you, you watch those the American films and things like Home Alone yeah. <laughs> and those moments when they go through the park and stuff, you could totally relive that moment. Yep. <laughs> so for me, I'd definitely say go and check out Central Park. I've been there when it's been absolutely freezing and I've been there when it was really, really hot and sunny and beautiful. But the fact that this sort of big, huge green space, and I know we have green spaces here in London, but it's just kind of bigger there. Yeah. Like everything's a bit bit bigger like the trees are a bit bigger and the walkways are a bit bigger so like yeah i would say go and visit central park it's a, a real beautiful place to go and see so so different to the rest of new york so it kind of feels like a complete tranquil escape whilst you're there it's like an oasis <laughs> yeah it really does so do you enjoy going on city breaks and i realize when i phrase this question it should be did you enjoy going on city breaks because at the moment i suppose we can't so is that something you enjoyed yeah, you know what, I actually do like going to, on city breaks. So, um, having grown up as a on a farm, as a farmer with my parents and stuff, like obviously my, my whole rest of my family is big on the outdoors and animals and all that sort of stuff. But I actually really appreciate going to a city and checking it out and seeing all the, the things that go on there because I, I'm really drawn to the hustle and bustle of people. Mm. Um, I like to see how different cultures work in different places and being in a city gives you that opportunity. Also, there's always some amazing food to be found, like tiny little places hidden away. Um, I went to Rome with my fiance, mm. and uh, the best thing that we found in Rome was um, this tiny little place that did uh, arancini, but it was yeah. obviously like a local's favorite. And there were like, like literally 50 types of arancini that you could buy here, and it was wow. queued out the door, but all local people, like it was just off the beaten track. And we went in there, and I, I've never felt so ill after the amount of arancini I ate, <laughs> but it was well worth it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I 
do I love city breaks there's, there's something for everybody when that happens and you can see so many great things awesome so what would your ideal city break look like then I think if you're going to go to um, a city I like to walk around it or run around it because like, yep. obviously with training and stuff it's good for me to keep active and yep. actually we went to Rome uh, Mike and I had a, a sort of a central hub what a central flat that we stayed in but then we so we had the ability to we went for a long run on our first day there just around the city really early wow. um so it means you can check out a place before everybody else wakes up <laughs> <laughs> and then rome especially is really busy but actually i think going to a city kind of slightly on its off season so we were in like november mm. so it wasn't the middle of summer where everybody's trying to get there and see everything but when you go in off season you can go to all these amazing places um, and check out like Colosseum, for example, but it's not absolutely rammed, so you can yeah. really experience it and enjoy it. So I'd say stay central, um, go for a, like a covert run in the morning, check out the place or go for a walk and just check everything out, um, do a map of where you want to go and go see all those places that are normally really busy just in the, into the off season because you'll see so much more. Amazing, some great advice. I really like that. And your favourite country? Oh, wow. That's a hard question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, favourite country? I, I think America. In, yeah. it, like, because there's so, so many different things, to, like different types of things to experience there. Because like, obviously you can go to like, really, with, like New York when it's really, really cold, so it's snowing and stuff. But then I've spent time in Florida where it's really hot. I've been in the centre in Kansas where like, you're right in the centre of the whole constant thing there and uh it's just a very strange place to be um and then there's detroit which is totally different like more city like totally different as well so yeah i think america maybe i think yeah i have to pick that amazing and to go back to boxing momentarily when you fly to the us because of like the time zone differences do you make sure that you give yourself enough time before the fight and when would you say you would ideally arrive in the country so if i'm going to america before a fight um i try to be there one to two weeks beforehand hmm. just so that i can settle in but if, I, if I'm going over on relatively short notice, I tend to actually just, because I'm recovering in that week before a fight, I tend to actually sleep a lot. So um, yeah, it just, it means that by the time I actually arrive, because I've slept a lot on the plane, I'm actually, I find myself quite into America, the timing zone quite quickly. Okay. Um, when I went to New York for a press conference, I did 24 hours in New York, <laughs> which was the, probably the craziest experience wow. of my whole life. <laughs> and that was amazing so like i was flown over from london to new york and we were put up in this hotel and honestly the suite that i had was bigger than my flat in london <laughs> also had one as well so we both had two massive suites that were bigger than our entire flats in london but we got there and we did the press conference and everything like that but we just kind of stayed on uk time and so on the Sunday, we were up really early. So nobody else was really up and about in New York. So we just got up and explored the place. And then when we got back on the flight, because we had a chance to see everything uh, that we wanted to see and got back on the flight. And by the time we were back in the UK, we were still on sort of UK time. Yeah, that's clever. But yeah, <laughs> but that was a mad experience. That was really good fun. Awesome. Let's move on now because 
I've heard you speak about food a few times. It's a massive part of why I enjoy traveling. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. Would you consider yourself a foodie? Absolutely. And I yeah. think it's made worse by the fact that as a boxer, I don't get to eat what I want a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I watch cooking programs constantly. That's like my favorite thing to do. Yep. So what is the best food you would say that you've eaten whilst abroad? I think when I was in Rome, I had some amazing things. Like, mm. um, it just had some really, really good, like traditional sort of pizzas that they made there. And the arancini definitely stick out as yep. amazing. But also when I was in Greece for training, actually, um, I was in Athens with my coach and obviously you're trying to eat healthily and you can't just eat what you want. And that is the most frustrating thing about going <laughs> until after you've fought, you can't eat what you like. Yep. But um, yeah, I had this amazing, like they just have loads of fresh fish. So they did like a whole fish. Um, it came out, it was cooked beautifully with veg and everything. I, I love seafood. So it was really nice to have something like that as well. Um, and then of course, when I was in Detroit, I had to have like, the deep pan pizza yeah. that was amazing that was the that was the winning meal after the fight i won we all had pizza in the car on the way back yeah <laughs> quality all, all the hard work was worth it then absolutely <laughs> and can you pinpoint a particularly bad food or for example when you're in india a food which perhaps didn't agree with you ah uh, um okay so actually i went to i was in kiev i was i was training as part i was a uh, sparring with cecilia brackhouse she had a training camp over there and we were in the sort of the ukraine uh, olympic ground but we were staying in a hotel and they had um uh two menus one was like you know the the normal people menu like british menu and then they had the other one which i always try whenever i go anywhere i want to try loads of different things um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to have something that's traditionally from Ukraine. Uh, this sounds okay. Uh, my bad translating. <laughs> <laughs> and it came out. I couldn't eat it. It was like this sort of um, blood sausage casserole thing. Yeah. But it wasn't like black pudding at all. Uh, so <laughs> it was definitely something I had to actually, for the first time in my life, I actually had to order something else. Oh, really? And normally I would never do that. Never, ever, ever. But it was one of those first days of I just could not eat it. Um, I just couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Is that big for you then yeah. when, when you're abroad in another country to try and take in that country's cuisine? Absolutely. I feel like I always try and learn a, a bit of language from that part, even if I really struggle. Like Ukraine was very hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, I'm with France, uh, French, German, Italian, anything like that, I'd try and do a little bit of the language and then obviously always try and eat what is local and what, what they really like, what they, they champion in their country. You know, it's, it's good to go and see what people are proud of, what they make mm. in their country that they're proud to, to come from there. So you should go and try it, absolutely. And how, in terms of restaurants, do you find restaurants? Are you one of the people who kind of walk the streets and see what takes your fancy or do you do a bit of research? When I was a student, it was definitely walk the streets and find something that takes a fancy. And if it's the cheaper option, even yep. better. Yep. Um, <laughs> as, as, as an adult these days. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I do like to research like cities that I'll go to. Um, or even here in London, you know, I see lots of, obviously watching lots of cooking things and shows like that. I actually have quite a big interest in it. So I want to go to these places that I talked about to see, to try food from particular chefs. Um, mm. And I took my fiance recently to Hyde uh, here in London, just off Hyde Park Corner for his, uh, his birthday. So that was amazing, really fantastic British food, but done amazingly well. 
Um, so yeah, no, I'm a, a bit of a geek about it these days. And if I had to push you for your favourite cuisine, what would you say? I think I'd probably have to go Swedish. Oh, that's that is niche. What makes that your favourite cuisine? I really like like the sort of like their style of eating they're really incredibly healthy and stuff they've got quite good pickled food as well Mm. um which i quite like you know um so probably swedish food cross like my my favorite other food is probably korean so those are the two and they both got sort of like um marinated things and um you know fermented things like kimchi as well as that so yeah um korean and swedish Lovely. And in terms of a Swedish meal, if I could get you to pick a plate full of food, what would you put on it? Uh, there'd have to be some sort of like pickled herrings on there. Uh, sort of like a smorgasbord sort of thing. Yep. So, like, you know, a good mixture of loads of different little things that you could try. There'll obviously be some more fish elements in there. Um, I went on a shrimp. It was like a shrimp sort of cruise thing when I was in um, uh, in, in Sweden before. And I've never eaten so many shrimp in my whole entire life. <laughs> one of the best days of my life <laughs> wow so yeah that, be, that was there and they make amazing sort of jams as well okay. um and their sort of cakes and things so yeah that sort of stuff lovely i'll have to go and try some of that have you ever had any challenges obviously when fighting abroad it must be harder to control your diet have you ever had any issues when fighting abroad with food yeah so like obviously germany has a they eat a lot of bread-based items Mm. so there's a lot of bread um (laughs) and a lot of pork as well which i don't eat a lot of um Mm. and it's quite salty so i have i have quite a few difficulties and and also cheese cheese just seems to come into like in france in spain in germany Jesus in everything. It's everywhere. Um, so I don't eat any dairy when I'm training, you see. So okay. that's quite, quite difficult. It's right where Sweden really pushes forward because actually whenever I stay there, they have all different varieties of like different types of milk. Um, if you can't have dairy, they have other options. Mm. Their, their food is very fresh and um, it's great, actually. I can always find something to eat and they have a lot of like health food shops um, just on the street corners. So yeah, it's quite an easy place to find what I need. Brilliant. And you mentioned the pizza in Detroit earlier as a kind of victory food. Yeah. When you've won a fight and you want to celebrate, what is your go-to food? Normally the go-to food is a burger. Yeah. I just, I just want a burger. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably because I've eaten a lot of chickens. So I just want a red, red meat. Um, yep. I just a boring burger. I don't actually want anything too exciting. None of these fancy things. I just basically want a, a bacon cheeseburger, something yep. like that. <laughs> Something super boring um and then I, I always want ice cream ice cream like it's probably my one thing which i love the most is ice cream so yeah that definitely happens as well <laughs> is there anywhere in the world where you've eaten a brilliant cheeseburger which you could recommend new york <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an amazing one in new york um i think to be honest you can't really go wrong with a burger in new york yeah um, but yeah i had a really good one there and sometimes as well like here in the uk it's just great to grab a five guys like you know you just want something simple basic go five guys um they always do something really good um but yeah definitely sounds good sounds good and so to move away from food now and more onto the personal kind of deeper questions is there a holiday that means the most to you i think probably that very very first family holiday that i went to menorca that means Mm. a lot to me because that was the very first time my family as a whole, me and my two sisters, my mum and dad, we all went abroad. And I think that that means a lot. And it was kind of the kicks, it was like the starter to us being, us going a few more places. Um, 
And then I think very closely followed by that is a family holiday that I went to um, France and we drove because my mum my mom wasn't a great flyer. So like when we went to Menorca, that was still in the days when the air hostess let my mum up into the cabin to like sit with the pilot so she could oh, wow. see where the plane was going because she was freaking out about being on the plane. <laughs> but when she could see where she was flying, like, you know, out at the front, yep. she felt a lot better. But um, later on, she got worse at that. So we drove <laughs> over to France um, and we stayed in like Limoges, Limousin sort of area. Mm. And uh, we got a, a house with my grandparents and my aunt and uncle came and uh, we all kind of stayed there. And there was a like a fig tree in the garden. And we just did so many, so many cool things together as a family. And um, it was just one of those things that stuck with me. Like you're still a kid and you're still kind of exploring and having adventures. Um, but we were in France and... My, I, I was kind of uh, given the job of translating things because my French was pretty good. Nice. Um, but my <laughs> my granddad, so that we went all went out for dinner one night, and um, my granddad, he every time he tells tells a really funny joke, but he knows the answer, he can't get to the end of the joke. So <laughs> because he's laughing so much, and the 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 waitresses and the waiters thought he was having a fit because he couldn't stop laughing. And I remember trying to explain in very bad French, no, no, he's fine, he's fine, <laughs> you know, like uh, it was, yeah, that that was a brilliant holiday. <laughs> Amazing. Lovely, lovely story as well. And to move on to perhaps a bit more of a negative side of travel, but a place you would never go back to. Yeah, Delhi. Yeah. <laughs> Delhi in India. Um, yeah, that that probably, uh, it was a very stressful place because I, it was, me and my friend Alison were there and we were there just as two women on our own. And I found it not very safe. I think that was probably the, the, the kind of the overriding feeling mm. was we were always on edge because we didn't feel really safe as two women on our own. Mm. Um, I think if I went back there with like my fiance or like with my coach or just even like a male companion, I probably would feel a little bit safer, mm. but it's just because we were on our own. I, I didn't feel very safe there. Um, I, I also probably would never go back to Tenerife, yeah. um, <laughs> but not because of the same reason. <laughs> um, I went to Tenerife with a friend. I was really lucky to go on holiday with her. And um, it was like, we had fun together, but just the sort of, it felt very um, anglicized. Yep. It was just very British. Um, and people weren't really eating any traditional food from Tenerife. There was all like chips and pizzas and yeah. like, it didn't feel like I was on holiday. I felt like I was just kind of in Brighton, you know? Yeah, like, I know what you mean. And I, I feel harsh saying that because I really like Brighton. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just... I felt it wasn't really like, um, if you want to experience a new culture and a new place, I don't feel like Tenerife is the place you want to go. If you want to feel like comfortable, but in a hot place, go there. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. And a polar opposite to that, is there a place that you could always go back to? I really, New York is definitely one of those places. Mm. Definitely always go back there. I could definitely always go back to um, Mauritius. Okay. Uh, I really love Mauritius. I thought it was absolutely stunning. Um, so that, that's definitely one of those places I'd like to go back to. Not as I'm as I'm as a somebody working. <laughs> I'd like to go back and explore it properly. Yeah. And the same thing, really, probably for I went to Corsica, mm. and I really, really loved Corsica. Nice. The only downside to going there is the flying. <laughs> yeah. So when you fly there, 
that it's because it's like quite mountainous or something like the islands and things you get quite a lot of turbulence yep. so like the plane was doing this <laughs> but once we're there it was amazing great place to explore yeah i've had it described on this podcast as one of the most beautiful places in the world is that what yeah. made it so special for you yeah and also i feel like it's a very interesting country because obviously there's a huge french influence a huge italian influence mm. there's a whole mixture of like languages um and in the south obviously you've got these beautiful like beautiful beaches and mm. the sea and you go out in boats and there's there's beautiful caves to go in um but then as you go further north you've got all these long winding roads which cut along the coast um mm. and they get higher and higher and then you can actually go out and we went up to do um, a walk uh, it was just advertised as a local walk you'd go and do but nothing like here there's no health and safety no nothing mm. so <laughs> like you get there and you're like using chains to get up half the rocks and things and you kind of it's a proper exploration and we went up and there was like a volcanic uh, um sort of mass had left like a space for for water to make a big lake so it's mm. absolutely freezing they're like you can swim here and i was like no way <laughs> and then you go further up and it, it's kind of like you're in something from lord of the rings um it, it was an amazing place to really explore and the culture was very strange like i said it, it had different owners and different mm. parts of history so you could see that influence um wherever you went so yeah, it was, it was really great. Do you find that you tend to go back to places or are you someone who likes to explore and experience different places? I like to explore different places all over the world, but I have places in the UK that I like to go back to a lot, mm. I suppose. That's one way of doing it, yeah. So like I always go back to the Lake District. Yep. Me and my fiance always go there. Um, it's like my one place other than Norfolk. Norfolk and the Lake District are my two places where I unwind in the mm. UK. And I think if I'm if I've had a stressful time or I, I want I want downtime and I don't have to think about anything like another language yep. or where are we <laughs> or getting a plane. Like these are my two places that I like to go back to. Um, but the rest of the time, I just want to explore everywhere in the world. Yeah. I just want to go everywhere. And let's keep it UK focused for a little bit longer because obviously at the moment it's difficult to travel. So why not discuss and talk about our country? Because it is an incredible country with loads yeah. of different aspects to it too. What is it about the Lake District that you love so much? I think um, it's just so beautiful. Um, and having grown up on a mountain in Scotland, it's a different kind of beautiful. Mm. Up at home it's quite rugged and um, it's just like that I don't know it's, it's more mountainous at home and more sort of bleak and kind of yeah it, it's got that really beautiful bleakness which is actually quite it's kind of um I'm attached to it but it's probably because I grew up there mm. whereas in um the Lake District it's very more much more rolling hills um the lakes are beautiful and I like the way that you have to go around them with the roads yeah. you know you can't just go where you want to go and um, you can go walking um there's just like you know, when, you, when you're down there, you can just go to like the same old ice cream shop that you've always gone to. Yeah. It is always there. And the architecture is beautiful there as well with all the stones and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's quite a nice, reliable place to go. Lovely. And Norfolk as well, you mentioned. What is it about yeah. Norfolk that draws you back every time? Well, my grandparents still live there and I spent every summer there as a kid and it's where my mum grew up. So I feel most attached to her there. But also, if you're wanting to visit Norfolk, there are some amazing things about it like even though it's really close to London it still feels like it's 
not as it's not opened up as much as everywhere else in the UK. Hmm. It's not as accessible almost. And like I always joke, but say you can still buy penny sweets there. That's yeah. different <laughs> with the rest of the UK. But in the summer, it's really like it's really really warm and it's beautiful to see all the, the like the crops there it's very very flat um very different to scotland for me obviously so it's super super flat um and we always joke that it never rained in norfolk it's always sunny norfolk <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah there's the beaches there's sheringham beach which is like a beautiful pebble beach yep. and then you've got loads of other ones which are more kind of like sandy long beaches so the coast is really nice and yeah, it's just a, a good place to go cycling if you want to go cycling and okay. yeah, good family place, really. Nice. Well, you've grown my UK bucket list because at the moment, obviously we can't go anywhere. So I might as well visit yeah. places people recommend, but let's move it away from COVID and imagine the world is completely opened back up to us and we can go anywhere we want again. Where in the world would you choose to go? So first of all, obviously thinking from my boxing point of view, I want to get back to America. I want yeah. to fight in the States. Yeah. Uh, I want to fight in front of an American audience again and see all of my like my friends over there as well. Like, you know, my manager, my American manager, Mark Taffet's there. Um, my really good friend, Carissa Shields, she's over there. Yeah. You know, just, these are the people I want to see in those boxing gyms that I've not been to. Um, but somewhere that I've not been and I really want to go is um, uh, South Korea. Uh, because my flatmate who's just left and moved back home she's in South Korea and in Seoul and uh, I would really love to go and visit her there experience what some of that culture because she was telling me all about it it's just something so alien to me so different Mm. and I absolutely love the food so it's a perfect excuse to go there (laughs) so (laughs) yeah South Korea and uh, Japan the two places I've, I've not been there those places so I'd really like to go and investigate amazing my best friend is actually moving to South Korea and by the time this podcast is out he will have moved to South Korea so yeah we have that in common yeah tell me tell me about if you go I want to know everything <laughs> yeah I'm gonna go out hopefully fingers crossed in like May time so yeah I'll feel you once I've gone and you spoke about travel from a boxing perspective again just there in terms of tra- uh, wanting to return to the US if I said to you which stadium in the entire world would you love to fill out in boxing? What would you choose? Madison Square Garden. Yep. <laughs> Madison Square Garden in New York. Come on. It's like, it's the dream. It's the Mecca for nearly every boxer I know. <laughs> like yep. that you just, uh, I almost had the possibility to be fighting there at some point. So to make that dream a reality, that would be perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Hope you have an amazing 2021 and can travel and tick those places off your bucket list in the near future. Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me on and let me know everything you get to know about South Korea. (laughs) I will do. Thank you so much. So there we go. That was episode 20 of Travel Talks. Thank you so much to Hannah for coming onto the podcast and thank you so much to you for listening to. If this was the first episode of the podcast you've listened to, it would be absolutely amazing if you could go and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to this on and leave a five-star review if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to climb the charts and reach new listeners and should only take you a couple of minutes too. And as always, thank you so much for listening and I'll be back next Monday with Saunders for another episode of our new show. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code mom.